Welcome to On the Middle East, our monitor's podcast on the big and interesting stories in the region. Today we'll be talking about Turkey's continued refusal to ratify Sweden and Finland's accession into the NATO alliance. Ankara says that Sweden in particular has failed to address its security concerns, mainly to do with the outlawed Kurdistan Workers' Party, the PKK. There's a large ethnic Kurdish community in Sweden, and many have sympathy for the PKK, an armed group that's been waging an insurgency against Turkey since 1984 in support of Kurdish demands. Turkey is also unhappy about the support led by Sweden's previous government to the autonomous administration in northeast Syria. Turkey insists its armed wing, known as the YPG, is linked to the PKK and that it poses a threat to Turkey's national security. Sweden's new right-wing government is taking a new approach, with its foreign minister saying in a radio interview ahead of tomorrow's meeting between Prime Minister Ulf Kristersson and Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan that Turkey's arguments actually make sense. With us here today to discuss these developments is Sweden's top expert on Turkey, academic Paul Levin. Paul is the head of Stockholm University's Institute for Turkish Studies. Welcome to the show, Paul. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you. Great to be here. So tomorrow we have your Prime Minister, Kristersson, coming to Turkey uh, and hoping that he can leave with uh, approval from Turkey for Sweden's membership. And they've already started to prepare the ground, first with uh, the NATO Secretary General Stoltenberg meeting with Erdogan uh, last week and, you know, already working on him. And then you had your um, foreign minister make all the right noises about the Kurds, saying we need to distance ourselves from the YPG, etc. What's actually going on and what do you expect will come out of tomorrow's meeting? And, and yeah, can you explain to us really what Sweden is doing beyond just making these comments? Well, I mean, the, the, the state of play, if you will, first of all, <clears throat> is that uh, Sweden and Finland, um, after some, some uh, negotiations, achieved invitee status to NATO uh, on the eve of the Madrid summit uh, this past summer in June. Um, and since then, there have been a number of meetings uh, uh, with uh, the delegations from the three countries, with representatives from different agencies, um, and uh, um, the with with the intention of uh, sort of implementing uh, the uh, the memorandum that was signed, the trilateral memorandum that was signed uh, in in Madrid, uh, and. In Sweden, we recently had uh, an election in September, and uh, we now have a new government, um, a right-wing government, uh, and they have really come in, I would say, sort of all guns blazing, uh, really making a show um, of the the fact that they put NATO accession as a, a priority, not just a priority, but the uh, first priority for Swedish foreign policy. Uh, they're, of course, struggling with other things, uh, economics and, and um, other things. They promised a lot of things that they were not 
able to uh, deliver on probably because the, 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 the economic space is not there. But in terms of foreign policy, this is something that they uh, really intend on trying to deliver. They've set um, uh, the end of December as some kind of uh, deadline where they hope uh, to, to uh, have uh, expansion ratified. That's an ambitious, optimistic uh, deadline, but that's what I think they're hoping to uh, get out of it. But what's Sweden actually done in concrete terms to address Turkey's demands? The, the new Swedish prime minister sent a letter uh, to Erdogan uh, recently where he outlined um, apparently 14 points uh, in 14 points, what Sweden has done so far. Uh, and I managed to get a, a look at that letter uh, and it was entirely black, uh, <laughs> except for the, the, um, the, the date and the, the heading of the letter. So it's hard to tell exactly, but we, we know something. We know that the Swedish Inspection for Strategic Products um, has approved the sale of not arms, but weapons materiel. And that is one of the criteria that Turkey has set up, um, that there should be no arms embargo and that we should remove restrictions on arms exports. So that's been that's been done. Uh, Turkey has uh, um, requested and the memorandum states that uh, Sweden should um, uh, not provide support to the YPG, uh, the, the Syrian Kurdish militia. Of course, what Sweden can say is that Sweden has actually never provided support directly to the YPG. There have been no arms sales or transfers. There have also been no funds delivered to the, to the YPG. There is humanitarian aid going to the autonomous administration of Northeast Syria, to the people there, via veritable, various charitable organizations. So that's another matter that is not prohibited by this, this memorandum. Um, and then Sweden uh, and, and Finland have uh, committed to sort of uh, work with Turkey uh, and take Turkey's uh, terrorism concerns seriously. And I think that's where most likely these negotiations that have been ongoing, meetings in Helsinki and Ankara and Stockholm, they, um, which have involved various representatives of various agencies, my guess is the intelligence agencies, justice uh, ministries, uh, and maybe police, and uh, that they have been working on ways to uh, uh, you know, strengthen collaboration on, on counterterrorism. And uh, that's uh, not something that's visible, so it's hard to say how much has been done. Um, but Sweden has also sharpened its uh, counterterrorism laws uh, the process of amending our constitution is uh, more than halfway through. Uh, there was one vote in parliament and there has been an election and now we just need a second vote for, for the, uh, uh, constitutional change to go through. And those, uh, those, uh, legislative, uh, sharpenings, um, the Swedish, Swedish authorities are saying they will enable Sweden to go after terrorist organizations like the PKK uh, with greater... Uh, so we know, purpose. though, that, for instance, they're not extending the residencies for people who are thought to have links with the PKK. So that's one thing we know they've been doing. But we also know that Turkey actually wants to, them to extradite um, various individuals. There's a list out there. Now, do you believe that this government, unlike its predecessor, will be more disposed towards doing that? And can they actually, without being in contravention of the rule of law in Sweden? 
Well, I think that's a that's a hugely important question, and, and that's the one everybody I think has been focusing on, and for good reason because Erdogan has publicly uh, brought this issue up, uh, and not just him but other representatives uh, of of uh, the Turkish Republic. But um, as a matter of fact, the public statements, uh, there is a discrepancy between them and the actual memorandum that was signed. The memorandum actually just states that Sweden and Finland commit to sort of in an expedited fashion, uh, you know, take a close look at the evidence that Turkey provides in favor of extradition and to process those in accordance with the European Convention of Extradition. So there is actually no concrete promise of X number of people that should be extradited. And I'm, um, you know, I think the, the question of extraditions and also of uh, deportations of asylum seekers, there are a number of asylum seekers from Turkey that are uh, deemed to have ties with the PKK according to judgments made by the Swedish uh, security services. I think those are difficult matters. I think the extraditions is, uh, it's almost impossible. Uh, it seems to be for various legal reasons. Um, and I also think that um, the deport matter of deportations we'll see, but that to me also seems difficult. Um, but uh, I don't know if you had a chance to, to see this, Amber, but this very morning, uh, Faritin Altun, the, the uh, head of the, the Turkish um, communications directorate in the in the uh, Turkish presidency and you know Turk uh, Erdogan's uh, English language spokesperson if you will uh, wrote an op-ed uh, in a the the the, uh, the Swedish daily with the largest uh, circulation in which he uh, uh, sort of expressed some op optimism and it was interesting he uh, reiterated Turkey's demands but he only re reiterated two of Turkey's demands and extradition was not among those. So he said that Turkey has demanded that Sweden lift uh, restrictions on arms exports and that Turkey wants uh, collaboration on, on terrorism, on counterterrorism measures. Yes, but as you uh, pointed the... out, Turkey has already lifted the um, ban on arms exports. So why Sweden would he... has, yeah. Sorry, Sweden. So yeah. why would he even bring that up other than in the well, context of saying, hey, you, you guys have done this, so thank you, and here's what else we'd like. But getting back to the extraditions, we're in an election cycle in Turkey, and you know Erdogan needs to show something for this tough stand of his, so he's going to want a body, you know. So, I mean, there is a lot of concern, I believe, uh, in, in Swedish civil society. We've seen a lot of op-eds on this mm -hmm. subject that indeed this government, um, and given its you know, uh, political leanings to the right, and the fact that it's been being supported by a far-right uh, party from the outside, that that it may, you know, in the case of individuals where there is there are loopholes, legal loopholes, mm -hmm. can actually you know, send a few back. Um, I mean, as a Swede, looking at this more broadly, aren't you concerned, and we've had this conversation before, Paul, that this really goes to the heart of your country's mm -hmm. democracy? Yeah, no, you're right to bring this up. And it's a big discussion in Sweden. And um, I mean, the context is that we now have a, a, a you know, right-wing government with the support of the, the far right. Uh, and they have promised a much tougher immigration policy. The fact is that after the 
the sort of you know gener initial generosity uh, uh, of, of Sweden in, in the uh, refugee crisis of 2015, uh, in the aftermath of that, the social democratic government actually closed the borders pretty much, they tightened up um, migra uh, migration policy very uh, severely. And this government now promises to tighten it up even more to the very um, minimum standards required by the European Union. Um, so I think you know that is the broader context. But in Sweden, um, sort of the, the the electoral election promises, campaign promises, and the sort of manifesto that the government has presented in an agreement, that is not yet policy. It's not legislation. So I'm not sure the extent to which that actually um, affects the judgments made by the relevant authorities. In this case, it's the migration agency, and uh, uh, in some cases, the migration court that makes determinations regarding who can be sent back to what country. Um, but uh, there, as I mentioned, there are, there are some, I think, some 30 uh, uh, asylum seekers from Turkey that have had their uh, applications uh, denied. Um, according to news reports, so I, I, I want to put this that caveat out there. This is over the past year, right? Yeah, and I mean the determination. Uh, so the, the the rejection was based on a determination by the Swedish Security Services, and those determinations, as far as I'm aware, were made uh, last year. So far oh, before, before this became you applied a... for for NATO. Yeah. So it's not in that, in other words, that is not a concession to Turkey's demands. That is uh, the independent judgment based on the security services. Um, now those are secret. So uh, all we can do is sort of trust that they're uh, done on a, on a solid basis. But the question still remains if Turkey is a country where the rule of law is such that you can safely extra, uh, deport people and uh, whether there is a risk of torture. If there is a risk that they face torture, then um, I think according to the Swedish law and practice, you cannot extradite them. However, there is a case. Um, that uh, you know is, is could serve as a precedent. Uh, in 2020, Sweden Swedish authorities did deport a PKK suspect to Turkey after rejection rejecting his asylum. Uh, so it is not something uh, that if we were to see um, deportations now, it is not something that we have not done in the recent past. So it would not be inconceivable. Um, but I think it would raise a lot of questions. And as you say, there are a lot of uh, people that are concerned, not the least uh, Swedish Kurds. Oh, absolutely, which is an important community in Sweden, but also one that has quite a bit of political support. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out in your domestic politics. Uh, but getting back to the Syrian Kurds, who used to be very welcome in Stockholm, I guess what this means for them is that they will not be welcome anytime soon, at least for the duration of this current government. No, this government has made it clear now that they, um, they to use our foreign minister's words, they deem the ties between uh, the PYD, the Syrian Kurdish uh, party and, and the YPG militia, uh, their ties to the PKK to be problematic, and that uh, given the current uh, negotiations with Turkey, it would be best if we have uh, ha kept the distance to the YPG. Now that's um, a and, very disturbing precedence. Precedent, sorry mm -hmm. for jumping in uh, for for the Syrian Kurds, obviously, because if you have a 
EU member and, uh, you know, soon to be hopefully NATO member making that argument, um, that's pretty bad for them, right? And it sort of creates an opening for other governments who are keen to sort of quote unquote unburden themselves, right? From this, I mean, it, it really is a their relations with Turkey. Yes, um, it really is a sort of diplomacy victory for for Turkey. One would one would say because in this they have managed to push Sweden, which has a long tradition of being quite a strong supporter of the the broader Kurdish cause, if you will, uh, and uh, which had good ties to to the PYD, the Syrian uh, Kurd, Kurds. Um, and after, you know, Turkey um, uh, invaded in 2019, Sweden was very vocal and very critical uh, of, of that and pushed for arms embargoes in the European Union. Uh, so this is a big shift. It is, however, a shift that has uh, that was initiated um, by the, the previous government, the Social Democratic government, when they signed this trilateral uh, memorandum. But... Um, you're right. I mean, as much as this is a victory for Turkey, it is a loss for the Syrian Kurds, um, of course. The PYD has an office, a representation in, in Stockholm. It, uh, to my knowledge, it does not have many similar offices. I, I imagine you might know more than than I do, Amber. And I know they opened a few offices, but they also... Uh, were That's down them. as far as I know, yeah. They had yeah, yeah. a blog, I believe, that got shuttered pretty fast yes and, I and I, if i'm not mistaken that i need to yeah. double check that but so do you think this office will get shut down now well that's uh that's an interesting question that remains to be to be seen um but uh, at the same time i don't think that one should um exaggerate the importance here um i mean for for the syrian kurds yes it is a political loss um, but it is, of course, American troops and to some extent, perhaps Russia, Russian, that uh, are the ones that stand be between them and a Turkish potential invasion, not any Swedish presence, of course. <laughs> and um, uh, uh, Salih Muslim commented on these recent remarks by the Swedish foreign minister saying that he did not expect this. And Salih Muslim is, of course, the, the PYD uh, had uh, uh, he commented and said he did not think that this would really amount to much on the ground. In fact, he pointed out Sweden has never had formal ties with the PYD uh, or YPG. Uh, and moreover, when uh, our foreign minister made the remarks in an in, uh, interview over the weekend, he also noted that humanitarian assistance would not be affected by this. Uh, well, with, yes, of stand. course, humanitarian assistance is extremely important to them without question. But one of the, you know, main uh, sort of agenda items for this autonomous administration in northeast Syria is international legitimacy. That's something they're fighting very hard for. So in that sense, it really is a setback, as you said. Um, finally, Paul, just, you know, you said this would be a diplomatic victory. Would you say that Erdogan has played his cards well in all of this? That is a different question. I think uh, he's 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 won a short-term diplomatic victory, um, and uh, I mean, 
in the in that he has pushed Sweden much further than many other NATO member states uh, on the uh, on, when when it comes to relations with to the YPG and PYD. Um, but it all of these short-term victories that he can wrest out of uh, foreign counterparts uh, by playing tough and you know uh, making harsh demands and being quite belligerent, they come at a, also I think a heavy cost. Uh, a long-term price, even though the current Swedish government is now saying that yes, uh, both now and as a member of NATO, we will, uh, you know, respect Turkish national security concerns. I think Turkey has made irreparable damage to Swedish-Turkish relations. The perception of Turkey uh, among a broader Swedish public has been very damaged. Um, I think it might be even more damaged in Finland, uh, where they were very upset um, at what they um, perceived to be the, the, the rather reckless way in which um, Erdogan um, first uh, sort of allowed Sweden and Finland to go ahead with applications, uh, promising that betrayal, he would not veto, almost, and then putting Finland. in the veto. Uh, it's almost yeah. I mean, for Finland, because they were the ones who pushed so hard for Turkey's accession talks. Marty Atisari, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, wasn't he like one of the architects of opening full membership talks with Turkey? Yes, well, I, and, and I mean Sweden and Sweden. Even though Sweden has been a critic of human rights abuse, Sweden has also been a, a strong supporter of Turkish EU accession. And um, um, and so so, in that sense, I think you know they're gaining a formal ally, but uh, it comes at a at a at a heavy heavy cost. I think, um, and I think also that is something that plays into uh, my guess is that this is also something that plays into Ankara's consideration. They can they can pursue this veto line uh, for some period of time, but increasingly now Turkey is becoming uh, isolated. Uh, so right now all NATO member states except Hungary and Turkey have ratified uh, um, the accession of Sweden and Finland. Hungary has declared that they will consider this uh, most likely, um, or there are reports that Hungary will consider it by mid December. Uh, which is when their par parliamentary term ends, uh, and uh, Swedish and, and, and Finnish uh, heads of government have reported that uh, they've gotten good signals from from the, the Hungarian president. So, and then we saw uh, the rather uncharacteristically uh, harsh in, uh, press conference with uh, the NATO Secretary General, who usually is one who always underlines that he understands Turkey's legitimate security concerns, right? That's his normal line. This time he actually came out and said, uh, you know, now it's time to uh, uh, to accept this, this uh, uh, expansion. So I think well, that play probably plays... criticism for being very soft on Turkey. Let's not forget that either. Yes, I mean, that's, that's something that many people have commented on for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, it's not unreasonable because he's head of an alliance in which he, in Turkey is an important member, so he, he represents Turkey. But here uh, he did come out and, and sort of put pressure on Turkey um, as well. So my sense is that if Erdogan can now uh, sort of declare a victory, point to concrete concessions, then maybe that is more valuable to him. Uh, in terms of electoral politics, than becoming increasingly isolated as the only country to uh, veto expansion. That's not to say that that's a done deal, 
that I'm just saying that um, the calculation is not to be uh, obvious, which is the best choice for him. Well, the fact of the matter also is that if Russia were to attack either Sweden or Finland today, NATO would rush to their defense with all their power and might. And so Russia knows that. So the fact of, you know, Turkey saying, okay, guys, yeah, you can become a member is not going to affect Russian-Turkish relations that negatively, I suspect. So... Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good observation. Back with, with what he wants. Um, that would be good for, for the West, for, you know, the world uh, against Vladimir Putin, who's doing horrible things. So thank you so very much for joining us today. It was wonderful to have you, and we hope to host you again. Well, thanks for having me. Hope to be back. This brings us to the end of On the Middle East. I hope you enjoyed this podcast, and if so, please do share it on social media. We need your support. Thank you and goodbye.